turn again your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Read Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29 this morning. This is God's holy and valuable word, so give careful attention as it's read this morning. And King Herod heard of it, for his name had become well known, speaking of Jesus. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying he is Elijah, and others were saying he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so, for Herod was afraid of John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe. And when he heard of him and when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. A strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. But what is the relation between earthly power, social, political power, what is the relation to the kingdom of God, the kingship of Jesus? That's part of the struggle uh, evident here in this, the accounts in the Gospels of Herod uh, and of John the Baptist. In our geopolitical discussions, we generally see power as a sort of zero-sum game. So when the, when the Nazis rose to the power, it was to the diminishment of powers, uh, other powers in Europe. When the United States rose in power. It was to the lessening influence of other nations. And maybe now as, as China rises as a world power, it's, it's to some diminishment of other, other nations and their influence. But is that how we should see political power in relation to the reign of Jesus? Uh, when the Puritans came to New England and uh, set up societies there, they, they prospered. Uh, Physically, they prospered religiously. The gospel enjoyed freedom and flourishing that maybe it hadn't uh, ever before, uh, in a sense. And, 
And many of the Puritans in New England, uh, being post-millennials and having a, an optimistic view of, of the kingdom, uh, they thought and wrote that the kingdom of God and the return of Jesus must be near. Uh, it was, it was probably, he was probably going to come back soon. Um, because of the political freedom and, and the, the evident power of the kingdom of God in their society. Well, how would we evaluate our current um, social and political situation by that kind of thinking? Because uh, in our day, laws have made it illegal to pray in, in our public uh, schools. Uh, laws have made it legal to kill our own babies if we don't want them. Right? The destruction of God's design for the family in a number of ways is, is a legally moral uh, good and, and human right. How about in other countries where professing or proclaiming Christ, period, is, is punishable by imprisonment or death? Do these things mean that the kingdom of God, the reign of Christ, is then diminished? Or maybe it's at a, at a low ebb um, in certain places in certain times. Well, King Herod wrestled with whether he should accept and respond to the gospel of Jesus. This passage makes it clear it at least intrigued him. Um, or whether he would wield his political power to keep doing what he wanted to do. Um, John the Baptist spoke boldly about Herod, but as the other gospels tell us, he also wrestled deeply with what it meant that Jesus' kingdom seemed so weak and impotent in the face of powers like Herod in Rome as, as John was in prison. And so I want to consider these things this morning as you look at the outline in your bulletin there. I want to first just briefly walk through the story as it's told here and then look at this struggle of Herod and of John and then conclude with the assurance that, that political power and maneuvering has nothing to do with, it has no effect on the sovereign uh, reign and kingship of, of Jesus over nations and all of history. Uh, Mark interestingly interrupts the, the story that we looked at in the last two weeks um, of Jesus sending out his disciples and then they're coming back and reporting to him uh, how their preaching went um, with this report about John, John's preaching. Uh, John went out, kept on preaching and, and he was beheaded for it ultimately. Uh, verses 17 and 18 tell us that Herod arrested John. John had been preaching, or at least including in some way in his um, preaching uh, against the lifestyle of Herod, that it was wicked. And it's helpful to understand a little bit about the background of Herod and his family to understand um, what, what's going on here. This, this Herod is the son of Herod the Great. So the Herod of the... Uh, birth narratives of Jesus is Herod the Great, right? And he died uh, not too long after Jesus was born, when Jesus was very young. Um, and he, uh, essentially, his his realm was divided up into four smaller realms uh, that, that were given to his four sons. And so this is one of those Herods. Herod Antipas is the one in this account here. We've got one of those four regions. Uh, he was ruler over Galilee and, and Perea. And his, his technical title was a tetrarch. So sometimes he's called a king. He's not really a king in the sense that we think of that. He served under Rome as sort of a, a governor, uh, a tetrarch, um, a lesser ruler. He ruled from AD 4 until the year 39. So this is the Herod through the rest of the, the story in the New Testament. Uh, 
in the Gospels here. Uh, but Herod had a, a complicated royal mess of a, of a family. Um, Herod the Great, so from Jesus' birth, Herod Antipas' father here, Herod the Great had uh, children by five different women, so this is part of the complication. Um, Herodias, of the story here, was also Herod the Great's granddaughter. Okay, So Herodias married Herod Philip first, not this Herod, who was her half-uncle, okay, so a, a son of Herod the Great by another woman. Okay, and then Herod Antipas and Herodias, his sister-in-law and half-niece, uh, they fell in love and agreed to, to uh, divorce their spouses. And so that's what's, that's what's being referred to here. This is what John was preaching against. Uh, Herod Antipas and Herodias uh, getting married, divorcing their spouses and getting married. Um, Herodias here marrying another half-uncle of hers. Okay? And if you were to chart this all out, you would see that, that Herodias, um, in marrying these men, becomes both the sister-in-law and the aunt of her own mother. Okay? This is how complicated and, and messy um, this family is. Um, her daughter, uh, who is not named in the Gospels here, but Josephus tells us her name was Salome, um, she later marries another son of Herod the Great, um, who is also her half-uncle. So um, the, the web gets even more complicated as history goes on beyond the account of the Gospels here. Um, so was, uh, an adulterous, incestuous uh, family, also a brutally violent pagan family, uh, ruling over the people of God in Israel. And this is what John the Baptist was, was speaking to, um, that got Herod and Herodias upset. Um, John is evidently rebuking this, this behavior in his preaching, speaking truth uh, to this ruler over God's people. Um, and John's ministry was one of, of speaking the law of God. This is what God's law, God's design for his world is. It was also a ministry of pointing people to Jesus, uh, as we see in uh, early accounts in the Gospels of John's ministry, pointing them to Jesus' salvation, to the gift of the Holy Spirit, and so on. And here he's evidently proclaiming God's model and rules for the family, um, the eternal truth and, and better way of the Creator God. And, and for Herod and Herodias, this was an inconvenient truth uh, because of their family and their, their lifestyle. And to follow the will of God would have meant a total overhaul of their lifestyle and their, their way of thinking their way of life. And, and John or Herod was unwilling, and so he imprisoned John. And that leads to the account of his birthday bash here. Uh, verse 21 tells us that uh, all the important and powerful people of the, of the region were invited. And they're a, a silent character in this story, but a very a powerful character in this story. Uh, verse 21 also says this was a strategic day. Because of that. Strategic for what? For whom? Well, strategic for Herodias, right? Who um, didn't have any sympathies for John. Uh, Herod was the one who was protecting John in prison, um, but Herodias wanted him to die, and she saw this as a strategic opportunity. Um, and so her daughter Salome dances for all the, the guests, and for Herod, it would have been all men dining together. Um, almost certainly it wasn't ballet, it was uh, an erotic dance. Um, and Herod is so enthralled, he makes this wild promise 
Um, ask for me whatever you want. I will give it to you. Whatever you ask, up to half of my kingdom. Um, that's it's a it's a generous promise. It's not literal, though. Herod didn't even have a kingdom to give away. He was a he was a governor essentially, um, and that's also an ancient idiom for just making a a very generous promise to some. I'll, I'll give you something no matter what it costs me. Um, and he makes this promise in front of all these these most powerful and influential people in the region, people whose support uh, he doubtless needs um, as Tetrarch. And so Salome runs away and, and asks her mom, you know, your husband just made this, this uh, promise, what should I ask for? And in spite of all the things she might have asked for, uh, Herodias immediately says, the head of John the Baptist. And she reports that to Herod, and he's, he's reluctant, it says, but because of his guests, he doesn't even hesitate and commands that John be beheaded. So that's the basic story here. But the, the relationship between Herod and John and John's preaching about Jesus seems to be somewhat complex. So I want to consider that secondly. Um, on, on number two, looking at number two on your outline, the passage begins with Herod hearing about Jesus. Uh, hearing Dallas about his miracles, about his preaching, uh, about his popularity, and, and then it lists some, some theories about what's going on uh, through Jesus' ministry, and these are likely sort of end times speculation that, that people were offering. Uh, but Herod likes the suggestion, verse 16, um, that this is John. This is John the Baptist, whom he beheaded. And then the story goes back to tell the story there. Herod is recognizing that the message of Jesus is basically the same thing John was saying. Um, that taking John's head off hadn't stopped the preaching of this, this message, uh, even in Galilee. And, and Herod seems to have something of a sensitive conscience and a fear about this. I knew I, almost like he's saying, I knew I shouldn't have beheaded John. I, I didn't want to. Now this message is persisting. It's coming back to me again. And verse 20 goes even further and tells us that Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and a holy man. And he kept him safe. And then it says, when, when he heard him, he was perplexed. He used to enjoy listening to him. So Herod, interestingly, um, didn't simply disagree with John. He didn't like what John was saying about his family uh, situation. But he knew he was right. right? Herod knew that that John was a righteous man, that he was speaking truth. He was afraid of him. He, was, he had some twinge of conscience when he heard John proclaim the coming judgment of God. And that the call to repent and serve King Jesus stung Herod's conscience. He was perplexed, it says. It made him think and, and even enjoyed in some way listening to John preach, knowing that he was a righteous man. But Herod was conflicted. The, the judgment that John spoke of was, was future. John was just an odd character that lived out in the desert and didn't seem to have any power. Herod had all the power, political and physical power. He had the power to silence John and to continue doing what he wanted to do, marrying half-nieces and murdering rival nephews and, and all the things the Herods did. And so Herod, it seems, attempted a sort of compromise. He he put John in prison and shut him up, but he didn't kill him. He kept him safe. 
He exercised his power against the preached power of the kingdom of God. Uh, is essentially what Herod did. He, he hedged his bets, though, and, and didn't kill John. Well, the next scene brings up this struggle again. Um, Herod makes this promise in front of all these powerful people, and he's faced with this dilemma when, when Salome comes back. You know, what, what does he fear more? Does he fear John and the judgment of God that John preaches and Herod seems to know is right? Or does he fear the, the opinions of all these important people that are at the party um, that are certainly propping up his power as Tetrarch? And, and he's reluctant. Maybe he can feels he can put the blame on Herodias for this, but the kingdom of God loses again and John loses his head. Then there's one more fascinating scene, not here, but in the Gospels, with Herod, with this Herod, Herod Antipas. Uh, at the end of Luke, within, in the midst of Jesus' arrest and trial, uh, Jesus is taken to Herod, this Herod. Um, and here's what we read in Luke chapter 23. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. Herod was wanting to see Jesus too. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. And he plied him with many questions. But what? Do you remember Jesus' response? He didn't respond. Jesus replied, nothing. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. So which way is Herod going to go? It says, Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Maybe Herod was trying to uh, sort of strike a deal with Jesus in some way. Maybe if, if Jesus did what he wanted or gave him what he wanted, um, he might have helped him. But again, Herod gives in to the pressure of those around him and ends up mocking Jesus and sending him to his, his death, um, the Lord of the universe to his death. One thing that Herod reveals, the accounts of Herod, is, is the nature of sin. In a couple of ways, the, the nature of sin first tempts us to seek immediate and temporary gratification or, or decide with immediate and temporary power uh, over against the promise of the gospel, the costly way of repentance, which has great reward, but, but delayed reward through suffering often. Another thing that it reveals about the nature of sin is the compounding nature of sin and guilt. We see how that worked with, with Herod. He began, he was, he was interested, he, was, uh, he even enjoyed hearing John preach the gospel. But every compromise, every refusal to submit to the, the, submit completely to the lordship of Jesus led to more sin and more guilt for Herod. Right? First he just imprisoned John and then got backed into beheading him. And then he entertained an audience with Jesus. He had another opportunity to hear the gospel of life, but he ended up participating in his murder as well. And, and so ultimately, all these attempts to escape the authority and the truth of Jesus and his gospel failed. And Herod, despite all of his power uh, at the time of his life, today sits in hell and forever for his evasion of the lordship of Jesus. Let's consider then John and King Jesus. 
John the Baptist. There are really two sides to John's story reflected in the Gospel. There's, there's one here, and there's, there's more in, in Matthew and Luke. Uh, first, John, the first side is John's bold preaching of the Gospel at, at great cost. He responded to God's call in his life to prepare the way for, to proclaim Jesus as judge, as savior, as king. And that message was very unpopular with many people, but now he's risked his life relative to Herod. And we might wonder, why would John bother picking on Herod? Why would he bother preaching at the Herodian dynasty? It was such, such a mess. It was thoroughly pagan. What hope was there for for gaining any progress there? Um, John had little human hope of anything changing in in the Herodian dynasty. Um, And he risked his freedom. He risked his life and his ministry uh, by speaking the truth to Herod. Wouldn't it have been better for him just to focus his ministry somewhere else and then he could could have continued it longer, right? Or, Or maybe he could have just made friends with Herod. He could have just preached the things that Herod enjoyed hearing, as Mark tells us. He could have just avoided talking about Herod's family. Right? Herod was fascinated by John. Today, people might accuse John of, of being political. But the gospel called repentance and faith applies to all people in every sphere. Right? It doesn't need political power and influence. It might have been a temptation because Herod was familiar with John and was fascinated by him, enjoyed listening to him. John might have used that for his favor. But John was faithful to this, even though it cost him socially with, with many of the Jews, and then it cost him his life with Herod. And that the church needs to continue to have this kind of clarity and, and gracious boldness. The, the law of God and the gospel are for everyone. They're needed by everyone. I, I think uh, some American Christians get caught up in a, in a desire for cultural power or influence through red and blue politics, for example. Uh, I was preaching a while back on Proverbs, on sexual immorality in uh, Proverbs 7, I think, and noting that it's nothing new as a societal sin but it's become more prevalent and open and accepted uh, publicly in our culture uh, in recent decades. And uh, among several examples of that in our culture, uh, I simply listed the fact that we had elected a few years back a president um, on, a, on a conservative ticket who made millions of dollars exploiting, exploiting women through uh, making strip clubs and um, brags publicly in his writings about his many family-destroying affairs, uh, brags publicly about sexual assault. This is just simply objectively unprecedented, an example of this in our culture. And someone walked out of the sanctuary because they felt that, that conservative red team politics, political power, was threatened by including that in a list. If it was a if it was a blue team example, it would have been okay. But it's the red team where the church identifies and gets political power. And so that was supposedly off limits for preaching or discussion in the church. And there's, of course, a way to be inappropriately political in the church or in, in preaching. But applying the law of God and the need for 
his gracious offer of salvation uh, to all people everywhere in our entire society, um, regardless of power or threat or cultural influence, is the church's faithful witness. Uh, we trust in the power of King Jesus. Uh, not in, not in uh, political associations or other uh, societal means of power that, that we might gain. And there's all kinds of difficult questions about how to do that. But the church is called to John's bold witness. But the other side of John's story is this. Uh, it's not recounted by Mark here, but in, in Luke chapter 7, you may recall that, that uh, Luke reports something of a communication between John and Jesus while John was in prison, before he was beheaded. Right? He sent a message to Jesus, essentially saying, are you really the Messiah? Is this really it? This, this is John the Baptist, bold John the Baptist, essentially asking, when, when do we get going? Where is the kingdom? Where is the judgment? Nothing seems different. Jesus, I, I faithfully preached your kingdom. I preached you as the one who comes to release the captives. And here I am, a captive, rotting in jail uh, under Herod's power. Where, where is the power of the kingdom? And, and so it's remarkable that bold and faithful John the Baptist struggled greatly with doubt about Jesus because of that. John presented a, a clash in his preaching between the kingdom of Christ and, and the kingdoms of the world, but it seemed like the kingdoms of the world were, were beating him down. What was he to make of that? Did, has the kingdom failed or is it coming later? Did we get something wrong? And Jesus responded to John that he should see what is happening. He should see what is happening and recognize it as the plan of God, that the gospel is being preached. Still, that, that even blind are receiving sight. People are miraculously responding to the gospel of the kingdom. God is working through weakness. This is what Jesus wanted John to see, that the greatest sign that the will of God was in fact being worked out through weakness would be that Jesus would be killed, exactly as the Scriptures had foretold. And John's own death was a precursor to that. So consider finally the conclusion to this struggle between earthly powers and the kingdom of God, the reign of Jesus, looking at number four, on your outline, even though John struggled, he ultimately was a believer in the triumph of King Jesus. His is just one more encouragement to us when we struggle to see, when we struggle to see and struggle to understand how God is working or how He's working things together for good. And, and here's a theme that keeps coming up again and again in, in the Gospels and. Um, in the scriptures, it's illustrated by the parables of the seeds, right? That God's kingdom works in invisible ways. It works in, in, in small ways. It works through weakness in unexpected ways like, like tiny seeds buried in the ground. Uh, John the Baptist's death was not a failure, not a sign that Jesus was not who he said he was. John was really the first Christian martyr. His death was a sign that the gospel works all the more powerfully and that it doesn't use earthly tools of power. It didn't need Herod's court to be, to be in support of it. 
Right? It didn't use armies or money or, co- or coercion. But that, that's a struggle for us, right? The struggle because of what we see outwardly in the clash between the claims of Jesus and, and the powers of the world. And that, that certainly was a struggle for the early church and what they saw among those who first preached the gospel. John the Baptist was the first, and he lost his head. And then Jesus, and Jesus was crucified shortly after his ministry began. Well, Jesus appointed 12 others and the Apostle Paul as apostles. Church history tells us that every single one of them lost their lives for preaching the Gospel as well. And yet, what was the result? The result was that the the Kingdom of God powerfully went forward. The Gospel spread like wildfire. The political and cultural powers that executed all of those leaders were no match for the Kingdom of God worked through weakness and through the foolishness of the preaching of the Gospel. So we, we still face temptation and fear over political and social power and pressure and we express the doubts of John at times perhaps. But we need to see how every political and, and social power in history has passed away, but the Word of God and the reign of Jesus remains. And is powerful. And Jesus reigns on His throne from heaven far above all rule and authority Paul says, powerfully working all things together for good. Uh, Herod's response to John, imprisoning him, ultimately killing him, was um, a sign of the effect of the Gospel. Uh, Not a sign of the weakness of it, but Herod, as it says here, knew it was true. Right, And his reaction showed that it was taking effect. Romans 1, Paul tells us that all people know that it's true and are simply suppressing it. As we experience a changing world and maybe growing pressures in some ways against the gospel, against truth, laws and powers and rulers, that is in part evidence of the effect of the gospel as it's resisted. And we can also still see the power of the gospel in turning thousands of people to the gracious call of Christ daily in the world. So be assured that the the sufferings of our lives, the pressures of our culture, the power of rulers and laws that oppose truth, these things are difficult. They're difficult to navigate and to see, but they have nothing to do with whether or not Jesus is on His throne. Uh, He turns all of these things, He turns all things to His plan and His glory. And I want to just end with uh, Paul's prayer for believers uh, in Ephesians 1 that they would know this, and this this should be our prayer as well, they would know the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet, and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You again this week, this morning, for Your Word, for an account that is sad and tragic in some ways this morning, 
but nevertheless um, points us to your sovereignty and your control and the way that you work powerfully uh, even through disappointing circumstances and weakness, uh, even death, the death of John the Baptist. Uh, thank you that we can trust you um, in that through our deaths. Lord, help us to recognize and to know uh, the power of King Jesus over and above uh, all other powers uh, in the world that we may uh, lament or fear uh, that yours alone remains uh, for our good and for your glory. We thank you and uh, pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.